Welcome to the Otherworldly Oracle official podcast. We are your hosts, Kitty. And Alora. And in this episode, we are discussing the ancestors. This is a particularly exciting one for both of us, I think, because lately we've been finding some really interesting things out about our ancestors that maybe we'll be able to get into, but otherwise, let's just get down to it. Sounds good. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) No, I'm excited. Good, good. I think, I mean, this is a topic that a lot of people ask about um, in the group and on the website and you would think there would be a lot of content out there to, to go through, but that, there really isn't. I don't know if yeah, you're talking about it. It's a complex topic, but even though it's a complex topic, I feel like ancestor work is probably one of the, I don't want to say simple, but more, most easily accessible yes. things for practitioners. Um, yeah. So perhaps that's why, I'm not sure. I agree. Um, So when we're talking about ancestor work, what does that mean exactly to you? And why would you say it's important to work with your ancestors? So ancestor work means working with those and honoring those who came before you. Um, I particularly think that it's really important because A lot of people don't realize, or if you're new to the craft, um, if you're new to your spiritual practice, uh, when you work with your ancestors, you are essentially calling like a a legion army (laughs) to your side because there are, you know, if you trace a line, a bloodline, there's hundreds and even thousands of people who came before you. And... um, It doesn't always necessarily mean, you know, restrictive to bloodline heritage only, but we'll get into that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's really important because ancestors are the reason that you are who you are and they are the reason that humanity is what it is. And being like being a history anthropology major, I mean, it's massively important to me to understand uh, how my ancestors lived, what they thought, how they practiced their religions and their spiritual perspectives. So yeah, what about you? Um, All of that plus, (laughs) (laughs) all that plus, I think, you know, at one time our ancestors honored their ancestors and that was a big part of the you know, pagan cultures, spiritual practice and customs. And, and for many of us, that's something that was kind of stamped out when the church rose to power, basically. Um, You know, some of the indigenous cultures have have kept the ancestor veneration as a part of their practice, which is awesome. But I think a lot of us, you know, have lost that in time and, and because of, you know, certain religions. And I just think it's, important to get back to where we once were. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think uh, what you said is definitely true for Western society, because I do know in Eastern uh, society and in the Eastern world, um, ancestor veneration is still a huge part of their everyday life. So it's definitely prevalent in the world still but Westerners don't always get to see it. No, we kind of lost a lot of that. I feel like a -hmm. lot of our, our old, our, the old ways have been somewhat lost, but they're coming back. So it's good. (laughs) They're coming back. So Um, let's talk about, let's talk about who constitutes an ancestor and who doesn't. Okay. So how do you know who your ancestors are? What do you, how do you determine that? Um, well, uh, it's basically to me, it's anyone in your bloodline who came before you or my bloodline who came before me. So to me, it doesn't just include mothers, fathers, and then, you know, your great grandparents, you know, back however many generations. It also includes 
aunts, uncles, and even cousins who were in your family tree, really going back to the beginning of time, whenever that was. So, um, yeah, but I think too, and I'm sure you're going to touch on this as well, there's also the idea of ancestors outside of your bloodline who may have adopted you in a spiritual way as um, they could be like a guide of yours that maybe are of a uh, magical origin or past. So, you know, past wizards, priests, priestesses, witches, midwives, all those kinds of people who might have, you know, adopted us, so to speak, from, from, the, other, from the other world. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I also, so like I said, bloodline heritage is one way to go about honoring ancestors. But I also think that for anyone who may not exactly know who their ancestors are or who has been adopted or um, anything like that, I think the more important aspect of ancestor history slash honoring of the ancestors is anyone who has poured their love and their time and their energy into you. Mm. Um, so if you're adopted, yeah, I mean, if you're adopted, your adopted parents, they chose to adopt you and they spent their time and their energy and their resources into bringing you up. And so honoring their heritage and them is, just as important in ancestor veneration as a bloodline ancestor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, I, I like that. Cause a lot of people will ask, you know, that's a question I get a lot is, you know, I was adopted. Can I, um, you know, which ancestors should I be connecting with? And I usually just tell them either one you're comfortable with, you know, because like you said, when someone's adopted, basically, their parents, parents, and all their ancestors before that, from what I believe, they, they take you on as their descendant. Right, exactly. And this goes for, um, like, in blended families, I have a stepfather who is from the Ogallala Lakota Sioux tribe. And um, I honor that part uh, as my own heritage because... I love it. And he has definitely poured time and energy and love into me. And yeah. so I think it's a great way to just give back. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, uh, so go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, um, so the other thing too, is if none of those are a possibility, you can still always honor um, ancient man because we all came from ancient man. So we're talking like anthropologically speaking, we're talking about, you know, when we crawled out of the mud and when there was Neanderthals and, and those type of things. And just good so point. everybody knows, huh? That's a good point. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> but just so everybody knows Neanderthals and um, Homo sapiens bred. So yeah. if you, you know, there's a good possibility that you are part Neanderthal. <laughs> if you know you... what's so funny? To cut in here on this talk, <laughs> I was just talking about why I, I said, I guess I'm saying it wrong. I've been saying Neanderthals. But anyway, so I was just telling my daughter about that. And she kind of looked at me like I was crazy. Like she thought I was making it up. I'm like, no, this is like, DNA science, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And oh, I could yeah. get like, I could yep. get so in depth in the science part of it because it's really odd because, uh, in the animal kingdom species don't interbreed. Right. right? So cats and dogs don't interbreed, right. but for some reason, when we were crawling out of the mud, we did. So that's super interesting in like this anthropological conundrum. But anyway, so true. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I find it. I find it. I've I've always been into. That's part of the ancestor work too. Is I just get really into the DNA like aspect of it. But um, to expand on that, um, I wrote an article a few years back on the different clans. So like uh, the clan of Terra 
Um, there's, it's based on basically going back 10 to 50,000 years ago. Um, everyone comes from, you know, a certain mother, so to speak, or a certain ancestor, like DNA wise, um, specifically tied to your mitochondrial DNA. And, right. you know, if you, that's another suggestion is if you're able to do your DNA kit, which we're going to get into more of this later, but just, sorry, I'll wrap it up real quick. But if you're able to do like your DNA or you want to do it, some people don't want to do it, but uh, I know 23andMe will give you your mitochondrial <clears throat> DNA, which you can then, there's some work out there by Brian Sykes that will give you an idea as to where your maternal ancestor might have come from, you know, 10 to 50,000 years ago. And then you could actually maybe try to work with her, you know? Yeah. And, you know, there, in the science anthropological world, um, there's been this mitochondrial Eve, um, so to speak, but come to find out it's not just one woman that's mm -hmm. mitochondrial Eve. It's actually like, Oh, I, I would say it was over a dozen now. Um, so yeah, that's like, that stuff is super interesting. Um, I know we could talk about that like for a whole podcast, probably. <laughs> probably. For real. Okay. So tell me about your personal ancestor practice. I would say it's mainly the focus of my whole spiritual practice. I mean, I, there's some gods and goddesses that I honor and, you know, relate to and pray to and things, but really it's, it's about my ancestors. And that kind of just started happening maybe within the past, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe within the past like four years. But I guess, you know, when I need help with anything, when, when I need um, just comfort, if I feel like I need protection, just it's I invoke them first and they're always there to help they always come through I've never had a moment where I'm like well hey could you guys help me out you know it's <laughs> it's just it's easy you know I, I feel like it, it like you said before it's very accessible to everyone because your ancestors are watching out for you in some aspect you know from the other side there there's at least a couple of them that are like constantly monitoring you even if you talk to them or not so right. um but i mean i guess part you know my whole practice is i have like an altar and you know i have photos on on it i i do like regular offerings usually once a week i have candles a cup of water and then i'll change the decorations a little bit depending on the season so you know that's basically it really i mean i, I talk to them i pray to them i I will use Oracle cards to divine maybe a direct message from them if I'm not hearing it. <laughs> and, and I just, I basically include them in everything, you know? Yeah. I think I take a little bit different spin than you do on ancestor work because I don't necessarily have a dedicated ancestor altar because I have different photos and things. Um, of my ancestors and even I'm a big um, heirloom person. Mm -hmm. So like for instance, um, my grandmother, she passed away in 2018. And so I have her engagement and wedding ring and I wear it quite often. Um, wow. So, but things like that. So I'm more inclined to uh, wear things from my ancestors or have those things near me or on me around me um, but not in a specific space yeah. um, so I do do offerings to them for sure um, but I I would also say that my practice itself is part of my ancestor veneration because the way that I practice and the things that I practice are influenced from the cultures and those types of things that I, my heritage is from. So I know for sure that I have Celtic heritage. I mean, some pretty heavy Celtic heritage. So I'd say like the Celtic aspects of my practice are heavily influenced through my Scottish and Irish heritage. 
Um, so yeah, so there's different ways definitely to work with ancestors, but mine, I would say like mine's more of an active action type veneration versus like a passive um, having an altar in one particular space and, and decorations and stuff, but they're both equally valid and useful. Awesome. I like it. <laughs> I think everyone is. Oh, where Can you hear me? Oh, there you go. Okay, sorry. <laughs> it out for a second. Uh, I think everyone's practice will be different. Oh no, where did you go? You can't hear me? You started talking and it faded out. No, okay, how about now? Yeah, you sound okay now. Oh my gosh, okay. Don't fail me now, Zoom and Mike. <laughs> yeah, for those of you guys who don't know, we took a break to find a different avenue by which to record these podcasts and get some better equipment. So hopefully the sound quality and everything on this one comes out a lot better. Can you hear me now? Yes. Loud and clear? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so we talked about our own personal practices. What would you say, or if you want, I can just go right into how, what are the first steps to start working with your ancestors? So my, my whole thing is the first step is just to decide that you want to do this. The right. next, the next is, I usually say to set up a sacred space. Now for you, that doesn't necessarily mean an altar and it doesn't necessarily mean that for everyone else, but you know, maybe your sacred space is just, you know, in your mind, literally reaching out to them and saying, Hey, I want to work with you. I want to receive your guidance and your blessings, etc. Basically, just inviting them into your life. They're already there, and they'll usually come running when you call them. So it's pretty simple, I think. Um, but from there, if you want to to set up an altar and do regular offerings, maybe lighting a candle even once in a while. I also would say to, if you can, I recommend building a family tree. You can do it online. It makes it, Ancestry makes it super easy. I mean, you can, you put some names in and things just start to populate and you start to find out all these wonderful things and sometimes not so wonderful things about your ancestors. <laughs> um, you know, I think too with that, just putting in the time to learn about them honors them. Yes, exactly, exactly. And even though my practice has evolved into a more active practice versus a less active practice, I would still say that creating an altar, even if it's small, is probably one of the best ways to start mm -hmm. um, because you're just starting. So you haven't developed your ancestor flavor, if you will. So it does <laughs> give you a space to look at and know that, okay, that's my ancestor space. And it kind of prompts you and reminds you to work with them, to give them offerings, et cetera. Yeah, I agree. So, all right, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, all right. So next, like we need to talk about how come some ancestors are like in the forefront and some never come through <laughs> mm -hmm. even though they want to connect with them yeah this was a question that someone in the group actually posed all right so what do you think i think that we have certain ancestors that are our guides so their purpose on the other side is to look after us to protect us guide us and then, you know, the other ancestors, maybe they have other things to do. Maybe they have other descendants that they have to look after instead of us, which makes it seem like they are, you know, gone. They're not necessarily gone. They're, they've just been assigned elsewhere, we'll say. <laughs> they're busy. <laughs> they're busy. Yeah. Like, you know, they're not picking up the phone right now because they got other stuff going on. Um, 
another aspect is maybe they're they've reincarnated so their soul isn't on the spirit plane right now they're back somewhere in the physical world you know so there's a lot of different factors to that i think and we're never going to fully understand it until we're an ancestor <laughs> <laughs> well um, i totally agree with you with the reincarnated thing um i definitely believe that's one of the main reasons why some are inaccessible um, but I also think that some come through more readily and more heavily because whether we know it or not, <clears throat> we probably have our strongest links to those ancestors, whether it's physical or um, metaphysical. So how do I put this? For instance, like let's say that you're really into your spiritual practice and there was a particular ancestor of yours who you don't know this but you practice a lot in the same way as they did um and so they come through to guide you and help you in your practice um or it could be a strong physical link like if you were really really close to a particular grandparent um that's another reason i would say that they come through strong mm, good point yeah i would agree with that whoa okay sorry there was a paper that just decided to like almost <laughs> fall off the wall over here anyway hello <laughs> ancestor yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, that was interesting okay so <laughs> leading into the next question how do our ancestors communicate with us wow timing yeah exactly <laughs> Um, and so I guess we'll get into when they visit in, in our dreams as well. Um, you want to touch on this first? Yeah, sure. Um, so I would say that ancestors communicate to us just like deity or any other spirits. Um, so songs, smells, memories, things falling off your walls <laughs> or, <laughs> or, um, things moving, things disappearing, um, little reminders that you had forgot about, but then you see like a phrase or a word and you automatically think of them. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think that's accidental. No. Um, <clears throat> I would also say behaviors and actions that seem to come from outside of ourselves. Like we automatically or subconsciously start to do something that we normally don't associate with ourselves and mm. we're like oh where is this coming from and then you find out that a particular ancestor did that as well um i think that's a really cool sign that they can implement or do or however yeah. you want to say that i don't know uh, that i i don't know that that's ever happened with me do you have an example of that or um yeah actually i do but it was <laughs> it was actually i don't think that it was an ancestor per se. Um, but I did some for, this is just an example. So, uh, I did some automatic writing, um, and I started to, well, I, okay. Not by hand. It was on the computer, but I was typing as I was doing my automatic writing and I started automatic writing in French, <clears throat> which I thought was really strange Whoa. because, because I, to, I did take French in high school, but this was French that I didn't know or, or didn't even learn. Like I had to look it up after I was done. So, so, so like if you suddenly like you're talking and all of a sudden you're talking in a different language and you don't know that language, I would say that that's a good indicator that it's an ancestor or a guy trying to um, get you a message through. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, it definitely can be. For real. Um, and, and definitely in dreams. Yes. Yes. Um, so actually recently, probably within the past few months, my grandfather who passed away, <clears throat> excuse me, years ago, I think it was 2003, whom I was very close to, really amazing person, um, in the, within the past few months came to me in a dream and I hadn't, 
I hadn't seen him in a dream in many, many years. And it was just like, it was awesome. Like he just came up and said that he missed me and he hugged me real tight. And it was very just vivid, you know, and right. felt like he was really there. And I woke up just pretty freaking happy, you know? So those are the best kinds of dreams, I think. Oh yeah, for sure. I know, um, when my grandfather passed away, he actually visited my mother in a dream. And it's a really funny story because she had a dream about him and they were sitting on a park bench, I think she said. And um, he gave her lottery numbers. <laughs> and when she woke up the next day, they had a lotto drawing and she could only remember three of the numbers that he had given her and it was like a it was like a six or seven number lottery or whatever but anyways the three numbers that she could remember were all winning numbers that day so (laughs) she was so mad at herself that she couldn't remember (laughs) wow but i think when they visit in dreams they're letting you know that they're around um and they are also probably trying to give you a message or teach you a lesson of some sort? Yeah, true. True that. That's what I think when they come in dreams. Yeah, that's a, I mean, I I don't, it doesn't, I don't get like a lot of vivid dreams like that, like with ancestors necessarily, but sometimes I, I get more like random aromas and, you know, a specific song that will play randomly somewhere you know, or, um, yeah, like a a random thought or something like that. That's usually how mine will communicate. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it works just like spirits period. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This next, this next question is a doozy. (laughs) That's for sure. So if your ancestor was abusive, a bad person, a criminal, et cetera, is it okay to connect with them after they pass? Um, so I'm sure you agree. This is a complicated question that's going to have a complicated answer. <laughs> uh, yes. So first, I believe it depends on the relationship you had with this ancestor, first of all. Were they abusive towards you specifically? Did they do you wrong or harm? In this regard, I would say contacting them after they passed is just as harmful as being around them when they were alive or could be. Right. Um, I don't necessarily mean that as they're going to come and abuse you. I don't mean it like that. I just mean that it's just really complicated and you might not want to go there, you know? (laughs) Well, I mean, it's just like... I would say that for people who experienced um, harm and abuse at the hands of an ancestor and when they pass trying to contact them, I think it's only a further trigger and continuing yeah. a toxic cycle. Exactly. Because you can't, I mean, at that stage, I would say that you are even having trouble breaking that cycle even in death which I don't think is a good thing. I agree. Um, To that, to the same level, but it kind of kicks it up a notch. But I think too, and this is just from people that I've known and different situations with people, you know, learning to work with their ancestors, but you have to also be able to distinguish between an ancestor and a ghost. Yeah, And there is a difference and you can, I mean, for me, I can, I, I know the difference because I've just been, I've just been working with my ancestors long enough to know, but you know, uh, so you don't, so basically an ancestor could be a ghost. So if someone has passed recently or, you know, sometime in the recent past and maybe they weren't a very good person or maybe it was a tragic death, you know, traumatic death or what have you, that's always a possibility that you could run into. And in this, and when they're in this state of spirit, they're not going to be beneficial for you. Right. They might not be harmful or bad, 
but it's just not going to be beneficial because they're stuck between somewhere between here and there, you know, and they need to figure out their own stuff before they're going to help you basically. <laughs> right. They have unfinished business. Yeah. And in and, and, and some cases they might be aggressive. They, they could become aggressive or, or attach somehow. And that's not something that you want, not to scare people, but you know, basically you got to learn how to distinguish between how a beneficial ancestor will treat you and how it feels, which is very loving, you know, and kind and helpful. And then something that's not. Right. And I actually, I'm going to actually build on this question. Yeah. Um, so here's, here's an added question onto this and we didn't even write this down. I'm just totally winging this. Go for so it. let's say that you have an ancestor that was abusive to another ancestor of yours. And so you don't wish to connect particularly with that ancestor. So what would you say to people who are wondering if they can be selective with their ancestors? Okay. So this is when I say it, when you begin to communicate with them, when you open that door to that spiritual relationship, you want to specifically say, think, make it well known that you only want to communicate or, you know, invoke your well in spirit or elevated ancestors. So and what are, okay, so what's ahead. elevated ancestors? It cuts out any, anybody who is stuck between this plane and the next. And it cuts out anyone who, you know, it's not that, so this kind of gets hairy because it depends on what people believe. But for me, I think it just, you don't want to contact someone who was a bad person, basically. They could be, right. there's, there's like levels that we go through, I think, in, in the spirit realm after we pass and, you know, elevated meaning these are ancestors that were good people in life or they've already worked through these different levels in the spirit world and they, they've, they're, they're back out on the other side as far as um, like level of purity. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think it's important to note that when a person passes over and becomes an ancestor that they can evolve in the spirit world, just like when, you know, people evolve in their human lives. And so, yes, the word evolve, I should have gone there. I couldn't think of it. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. But um, yeah, I would say that anyone who was harmful or abusive or um, anything like that in their life when they pass over i think it's important for them to have evolved to some higher mm -hmm. um con not consciousness but yeah some higher spiritual level than yeah. when they passed <laughs> yeah i agree I, and i think you know it you can feel for that person you know what i mean you can you can you know you can still feel love for that person but maybe you don't need to have a direct line of communication or invite them into your home, you know? So if you want to, to help that person out, there's what you can do is literally pray or ask your elevated ancestors to help that ancestor, you know, evolve on the other side, basically, or to help them cross over or what have you. Right. And I also think that your uh, elevated ancestors who you work with on, you know, a regular basis or who automatically, you know, uh, come running when you open that door. I think there's a lot to be said for them acting as gatekeepers almost. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't think that the elevated ancestors will necessarily allow an ancestor who is meaning harm or who was, you know, or who hasn't evolved um, in the spirit world to come in and cause destruction. Well, and to this same uh, topic, it, it relates to this, but it's a little different, but I'll just tell you. So there was this one woman who was talking about 
working with specific Celtic gods and that she kept giving them offerings, but then they kept asking her for more and more and more and more. Well, if you have an ancestor or a God or whatever, that's pressuring you to give you, give them more and more and more and more, that's your indication that this is not uh, a beneficial spirit to you. And they are basically siphoning off of your energy. So, you know, and basically, you know, this could be a ghost or what some cultures even call hungry ghosts. And that's something that you want to get rid of like right away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They're not well in spirit, you know, and that, that could be an ancestor who's not well in spirit. They, they have some things to work out, you know, and you don't, you don't want them around bossing you around and siphoning off your energy and things, which happens. So, or can happen. Right. And if you have a working relationship with your elevated ancestors, your well ancestors, if you run into something like this and you go to your ancestors and you're like, look, Hey, hello. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They usually will intervene. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) these are just you know we're just not given warnings but just some some ways to distinguish who's beneficial and who might not be beneficial you know that's like your first indicator your ancestors they don't need constant feeding every single day i know some people will disagree with me there but it's just not something that i that i believe i don't think in my opinion, my practice, you don't have to, to feed them every single day and they, they're not going to just continually, you know, bug you for more and more and more. That just doesn't, just doesn't sit right with me. So. I would say that that is a cultural view mm-hmm. um, perspective because I do know a lot of, um, a lot of indigenous cultural practices um like South America, um, Mm -hmm. hoodoo, voodoo, those um, practices do require daily offerings to ancestors. And that is part of their culture. It's part of their practice. So that is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about an actual, you know, ancestor or spirit who comes to you and is like a pest. (laughs) Right. Or a God, if you think that you're working with right. a God, you know, that's just, no, you got to question that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So do you need to be close, which when I say close, I mean in proximity to your ancestors' graves to connect with them? Yeah, this was another group member question. What do you think? No. No. You don't have yeah, to be anywhere near. No, not at all. <laughs> because... I mean, I think it could be it could be beneficial in some ways, but it's definitely not a necessity. Oh yeah, I would say it's beneficial as far as like a sense of peace and being able to. I mean, it's just like when anybody passes away, right? You want to have somewhere a place to go to speak to them. Yeah. Um, give them things so in that respect yeah it's really cool to be close to their graves but to connect with them no like i am in australia and uh none of my ancestors died here right well and and if you want to work with some of your like ancient ancestors like i wouldn't even know where to begin looking for my ancient celtic or frankish like ancestors graves you know well, and most oh. of them are probably, you know, gone. I mean, right. not gone. But I mean, pretty much gone in the they're sense just, that they're, they're, they're soil gone. now. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, but I mean, I get it. You know, it, like, excuse me, I have, I have family members that will travel to specific cemeteries and look for our ancestors' graves. And then they do like the grave rubbings where, you know, they take mm-hmm. a piece of paper and they, or, you know, they take pictures and all that kind of stuff. I think that's really cool. And I think that honors your ancestors in a, in a really cool way as well, especially if you're, you know, maybe bringing them flowers or what have you, or cleaning up their grave site. I think that's a really nice way to honor them, but it's definitely not a requirement. 
Right. And I will say that if you are far away from your ancestors' grave sites, um, there's a website, findagrave.com. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You can literally type in any name. And there are people who are heavily into genealogy who Mm -hmm. go around taking photos of headstones and grave sites. And so you can type in your ancestor's name and there may be a photo of their grave there and you can print it off and put it up in your house if you want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, it's a pretty, I've been on that website many times, so I concur. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So how about, I've I've gotten this question a lot and I wrote an article on it, but I want to hear what you think. If you believe in generational curses, what are they and how would you break them? So generational curses. Uh, I would say that this is, this is a pattern or a behavior like mm-hmm. that just keeps repeating through generations. So let's say your great grandfather was abusive. Your grandfather was abusive. Your dad was abusive. And now it's, your generation. Right. Um, so I would say, so do I think that it's a curse? Mm, I don't know about that. Um, I think that it's definitely a generational problem (laughs) and pattern. Right. Um, and I think that until you are the one, you're the generation to be like, Hey, this is a problem. I don't think that I want to participate. Right. Um, it's going to continue. I agree. I think that term is used loosely when they say curse. Um, and I think people get in the mindset that, oh, my whole family has been cursed. You know, I is it possible? Maybe, but maybe not so much in this day and age. And it's usually because someone down the line was, I hate to say it, but either a crappy person or they did crappy things. And that trickled, had a trickle down effect throughout your family. So yeah, I mean, the first problem, the first way to break it is to acknowledge the real root of the problem. And then taking a hard look at if you're actually continuing the cycle, which is really hard to do, but I've done it. And it's, it's, it's rather sobering. (laughs) I'll just say that. (laughs) Um, and then stop, you know, then you stop it. Yeah. And I, for something to be a generational curse, I mean, for me, it would have to go back hundreds of years. You know what I mean? For me, like a real curse. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. Like it would have to have some serious weight on it, but, but not like, you look four generations back and your great, great grandfather was, you know, an a-hole for lack of a better term <laughs> and decided that he wanted to be abusive. And so the subsequent generations just continue to do it because they didn't know any different. Right. Um, yeah. I think that that's a generational problem, right. um, but I, I, I wouldn't use the word curse because maybe a pattern or cycle. Yeah. Because curse implies that, it's something that has been done to someone. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I don't think that that's usually the case. No. Uh, so, yeah. And I think that, I think that thinking those things are generational curses is disempowering because yeah. it's almost like saying like you had no choice in this because you don't have a choice in breaking a cycle until you acknowledge that it's a cycle and that you're part of it. Good point. Yeah. Agreed. Oh, that was heavy. (laughs) Yeah, I know. This has been rather heavy podcasts. Uh, I don't know how many people have tuned out by now. (laughs) Hopefully, (laughs) hopefully it's been too heavy. Um, gosh. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, it's deep stuff when you're looking at where you come from and who you are now and where you're going, you know, what you're going to pass down to your kids and, and your, your protégés or what have you. So. Yeah, for um, sure. So the next one is how 
would you say people could connect with their ancient ancestors? And we kind of touched a little bit on this, but we can go into more into more detail now, if you'd like. Yeah, so DNA testing, um, researching your heritage, of course, your genealogy, mm-hmm. um, but also like take an anthropology class if you can. Take, oh. you know, something like that where you actually get introduced into um, the actual origins of man and how that all happened um, because it's really fascinating. And yeah. um, oh gosh, what else? Oh, even, you know, another good, you know, if you're an academic, another good class to take to connect with ancient ancestors is to maybe take an art history class as well something that you'll see cave paintings and things like that. Um, and, and when I say anthropology, anthropology also covers archeology. span So they also cover things like, um, rock glyphs and hieroglyphics and all that stuff from ancient. Um, but I'll let you talk about the DNA and stuff because you're and the genealogy because you're like the queen. You're way better at that than I am. (laughs) <laughs> oh, please. No, I don't listen. I don't have any fancy terms, but I'll do my best. <laughs> um, no, I mean, yeah, I think if you, if you want to do your DNA, it's definitely helpful, especially if you have like no idea where your ancestors come from originally. So if you do your DNA, at least it, it will break it down for you by like country or region. So let's say just as a couple examples, you're, you have Irish and, you know, English and maybe French ancestry. Then you start to look at the ancient people or, or, you know, people, the different cultural peoples that lived in those places over the span of, you know, 2000 years or 3000 years, however far back you want to go. But, you know, typically if you're English, Irish, French, a lot of European has some sort of Celtic heritage. Um, then there's, there's many, there's many cultures over the span of time in Europe, but you know, that's just an example. But you know, if you have an idea that your ancestors might have been Celtic, you can kind of start diving deep into studying, you know, the Celtic history, maybe figuring out some of their pagan practices or customs as far as we know. And to me, that kind of begins the process of the process of connecting. And I think the rest is, you know, it just takes time and study and yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've done ancestry. I've also done 23andMe and people always like go, oh no, you shouldn't give your DNA to all these companies. And I'm like, yeah, screw it. It's out there anyway. So, (laughs) but, and you know what, if you want to like clone me in the future, I'm all for it. So, but I guess there's another site too, actually, it's called mytrueancestry.com. And these are the guys that will compare your DNA specifically to like mummies, you know, and to ancient uh, people, you know, like archeological, whatever evidence, right? So in that, when, and basically if you've done your DNA, you can just upload it into that website for a fee, of course but then they will tell you your main ancient cultures. And mine were Franks, Celts, and Danish Vikings. That was the three like main ones. What's that? It said skull. Right, exactly. (laughs) And I think, you know, that, that they do it for anybody. And then they tell you, then they told me like, I have DNA, I share DNA with the Burka or Birkin shield maiden which was like a mummy that they found preserved in Sweden, I believe. She was like, yeah, she was a shield maiden. She had like tattoos and all that kind of stuff. So they compare your DNA to all these different findings, ancient people, which is really awesome. That sounds awesome. (laughs) And I forget, like there were some other ones too that were pretty rad, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's escaping me now, but I, I highly recommend that. I think just studying up on that kind of where your connections are, with the ancient world and also looking into maybe what they ate, how they lived, you know, what was anything that you can find out about them 
Did they drink wine? You could use that as an offering. Did they make mead? You know what I mean? All these different things where they, where they, where they seafaring people like Vikings, you know, it's all of that will help, help you connect really. Awesome. And so this next one is going to be interesting. So do all witches and magical folks have magical ancestors in their family tree? And how do you find out? So I'm just going to say that you find out by getting your magical ancestor profile done by Oracle. <laughs> it's so cool. So cool. I had mine done for sure. And it was really eye opening. Terrible plug for myself, I guess, but Oh, well, yeah, but you didn't do it. I did it because <laughs> you, you did mine I mean, and yeah. <laughs> I was like blown away. Like I, oh. I am not like super genealogy, but I know some things, but you found things that even I didn't know. So that was awesome. It, it's, you know, I used to think, and I still think that if you go far enough that pretty much anyone will find someone who is of a magical, you know, origin. But I've noticed that certain people um, tend to have more magical ancestors that seem to just kind of pop up, you know, like, hey, how's it going? Here I am, you know. It's like, I don't know, for you specifically, there was a, I don't even remember, I mean, there was like, okay, there was an, I'm not going to spill all of it out here for you, but, you know, there was like an alchemist and like druids and I was like, holy crap, like, it was not hard for me to find people like in your tree that had some major magic going on. We'll just say that. <laughs> major juju. Seriously. Um, but, and I think it, it, it's, I've noticed a pattern too with, with people, certain people have a lot and they just, it just kind of pops up. And then, and, and I'm not trying to say, you know, that that makes anyone better than the other, but it just, it's just interesting. I'll say that the patterns that I found doing the profiles. Yeah. Did you, or have you ever gotten stuck? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Is it, you know, is it just because things are, you know, you're tracing in countries that don't have English as their first language or oh, are yeah. there other for that? <laughs> So I've done, I think I've done a good 70 to 80 profiles now total. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the one that, it, that I can remember where I just completely got stuck on, unfortunately, was uh, Mexico, a woman in Mexico. And yeah, it's because... <sighs> you know, just records, you know, not going back far enough or having been destroyed or whatever the case was. Right. Um, I still found some pretty cool stuff. Like, I think I found that she was related to one of the presidents of Mexico, which is cool. Oh, nice. But, you know, it, it was kind of, that was a hard one. And I felt, I felt a little like underwhelmed, honestly, with my results. And I searched and searched and like, I tried really hard, but yeah, that was and probably I, the hardest one. But everyone else, I can usually find a good amount of stuff, you know. Yeah, and for people out there who are wanting to do their family tree and, and all of that, and you trace things back to certain countries, um, like, for instance, uh, I have Spanish heritage, but I haven't been able really to go all the way back because um, the Spanish Inquisition. And when that happened... Yeah a lot of the churches were burned down. Yep. And so the churches were where they kept all of their birth records and death records and things like that back then. So, um, you know, if you decide to go down this road to um, trace your heritage, just know that you will come up to roadblocks and obstacles because in some instances, their records have been destroyed and there's mm -hmm. nothing you can really do about that. Well, the other part to it too, is especially if you have an ancestor who is an accused or executed witch mm. they specifically try to destroy any other kind of record about these people unless it was what they were writing about them does that make sense so oh yeah oh, you yes. might not you might have like for instance for me there's one that i found in scotland that 
is in the same exact town, the same name, like the same era as my ancestors, this one accused witch, and I can't freaking trace her in my family tree. And it's driving me nuts because I know that she's somewhere in there. But I think that a lot of that got severed. You know what I mean? Like they, they cut them out of the tree or what have you. Yeah. A lot of times you're not going to be able to, to, you know, to prove it like in your actual family tree. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I'll just give you a little tip, history tip. When you're researching things, just remember that the victors write the history. That's exactly, yeah, that's exactly right. What you read doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily the history. Um, And that's why you need to look at more than one source make sure that you're getting an all around viewpoint instead of just one. Yeah. I I think that it's, um, it's pretty rare to be able to literally trace one back into your family tree. It's a lot of, okay, they had the same last name. They were living in this town or this region. And so therefore we can assume or ascertain, however you want to ascertain, however you want to say it, that they were probably an ancestor, you know. So there's a lot of that. And I, I, you know, I always remind people of that. Now with the Salem, with the Salem witch trials, there have been, you can actually trace that back. It's, that's fairly simple because there was a lot of documentation, you know, but anyway. All right. So book recommendations. Yep. Go. Do you have any? Uh, No, because you kind of, have them all (laughs) the best one that i've read like modern wise um is called honoring your ancestors a guide to ancestral veneration by mallory vaudois is that how you say it i don't know i think well you're the french lady Uh, (laughs) yeah well you know what i'm also old and that's been a long time ago (laughs) automatic write it out and tell me how to sit no i'm just kidding um okay so and then that's a really good one for like the basics you know if you don't have any you have no clue where to start that's a good one to read another it's a good one but it's very it gets deep into like healing your bloodline and elevated ancestors and all that it's called ancestral medicine Rituals for Personal and Family Healing by Daniel Four. This guy is like incredibly, oh my gosh, incredibly smart. He's traveled the world. He's like lived with indigenous cultures that worked with their ancestors on a daily basis. He has, he's just a very well-rounded pagan who knows a lot about ancestor work. So that's a really good one. It has exercises, but it is, it is deep. Like it's, it's intensive. So and then the last one that I read, which honestly wasn't my favorite, but it's still, I mean, it's okay if, if you really want to go there. It's called Communicating with the Ancestors by Raven Gramasi. It's, it's pretty good, but I, I don't know. I felt like it got really into just like, when we die, this is what happens in reincarnation. And there was just a lot of that and not so much practical working with your ancestors. Gotcha. Yeah. Like- as far as books go, I would say once you know a culture um, that you want to work with, just reading their folklore and their history. Good point. Yes. All okay. right. I think that's like going to wrap it up for this one. Yeah. We could continue talking about this forever, I think, but that will be a wrap this time. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, We just want to thank everyone for listening and supporting us at the Otherworldly Oracle. If you haven't already, please join our awesome club on Facebook. It's under the name Otherworldly Oracle. And give Alora's pages a like, a follow. And if you want to go ahead and let them know your page name and maybe your website, Alora. Yeah, sure. You can find me on Facebook under The Wayfaring Witch. And my website is alorarain.com. Um, I'm taking a break right now, but I will resume uh, services and things like that soon. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that's going to 
that's going to end it for us. Thank you for joining me, Alora. It was an awesome, it was an awesome well, thank chat. You. Thank you for having me as always. And thank everybody out there for listening. I hope you loved this episode and that the audio quality was much improved. I and hope so I'll too. See you guys. <laughs> yeah. And I'll see you guys next time. All right. Bye.